Good morning, I'm Robin Shannon. And on today's Fordham Conversations, we hear part two of my discussion with author David J. Goodwin. He's written the book, Left Bank of the Hudson, Jersey City, and the Artist of 111 First Street. In part one, we discuss the history of the tobacco company turned New Jersey warehouse and its historic connection to New York City. In part two, the assistant director at Fordham University's Center on Religion and Culture starts off just as the Jersey City warehouse is being turned into an artist colony. In the 90s, what you had is really a concerted effort by the city, um, by the owner of 111 1st Street, and by other building owners in the area of 111 1st Street, which they were calling Waldo at that time, a name that didn't stick, to, to market the area to what we would today call the creative class or to artists and um, people that enjoy art. Uh, I, I would say artists um, artists are the first group to take a chance on a disinvested neighborhood. And when I say disinvested, I, in the case of 111 First Street, this was an abandoned industrial neighborhood. There was no one living there. So they weren't, there was no one that was going to be pushed out. But in say, a more, yet, tra- <laughs> yet but my, a more traditional, say, um, neighborhood in a city, there are people living there. It's just, it's disinvested and there's vacancy. So I don't, I don't want to suggest that uh, when a group moves into one neighborhood, it's not as if they're moving into a, a blank state or, or, or a wilderness where they chop down the trees and build homes. And stuff. Um, but they're the first to take a chance on a space when, um, when banks won't, when capital won't, when investors won't, when really government has retracted, when government has you know, cut services, but then they're often, I think, the first to be pushed out because artists as a whole, one, are renters. So you know, renters are always vulnerable to forces of gentrification and displacement because they don't own the property. Also, artists don't necessarily have groups fighting for them in the way maybe some other um, endangered populations might, whether that's uh, impoverished individuals or senior citizens. There's not nonprofits really going to bat for them or politicians, you know, fighting, saying, you know, we want our long-term residents to stay here. The artists really are never, are not often part of that calculation. I mean, that, that's changing, I think. But um, also I think it's important to distinguish between gentrification and displacement. So uh, not to get too deep in the weeds here, but I think gentrification, I would characterize it as just the improvement of an area. So that could be improvement of the housing stock, that could be improvement of services, uh, business, shopping opportunities, schools, parks. But displacement is when individuals or groups are then pushed from those neighborhoods and they can't enjoy the benefits, uh, you know, the good the good things that are changing. And, you know, in, in the case of 111 First Street, the artists were displaced by uh, the building's owner I'm talking to uh, David J. Goodwin. David, um, at one point, the mm-hmm. artists uh, were under a curfew. Mm-hmm. Why and what happened with that? And what happened next? Well, the, the curfew really started the the war between the artists and the building's ownership. So why why was the curfew instated? I think part of it was the security reasons. The owner, I, I do think the owner was legitimately concerned. I mean, it wasn't just the owner... Trying to make trying a move, move to move them out. Right. But I do think that was part of the calculation as well. All of a sudden making making the space less attractive for the people. So for any, you know, most artists, whether they're musicians or, or writers or actors or, or painters, their art's not their full-time job, you know. And I think any artist would love it to be their full-time job, but that's just not the economic reality. So many of the people in 111 First Street, they would work 
primarily at nights, on weekends and holidays. And so curfew, curfew was not the move. The curfew basically um, hamstrung them. That they, and also, I think it's important to remember that artists are small business people. We often forget that. We we think uh, maybe I'm generalizing here, but I think you know we often don't think of artists as sort of economic creatures, right? We think of them as or creative creatures, or, creative creature, or what their work is doesn't necessarily have value. Where oh, I can just ask him to take pictures for for. for for me for free or I can ask uh, oh I know someone she's a singer I can ask her to sing at my party for free where if it was any other service you would know you would have to pay and the curfew also really put the screws on their small businesses and the artists fought back and the curfew was dropped and then this is really where the fight for 111 First Street began WFUV members help create great radio with their financial support contributing most of WFUV's funding your tax-deductible contribution will help pay for the music, news, information, and public affairs shows you rely on from WFUV. Be part of the community of listeners who support this non-commercial public radio station. Join or renew your membership online at WFUV.org or call 833-907-9388. That's 833-907-WFUV. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon, talking with author David J. Goodwin. His book, Left Bank of the Hudson, Jersey City and the Artist of 111 First Street, tells the story of a former New Jersey warehouse turned artist colony and the battle over art and development. So we talked about the vacancy in the building in the 50s. We talked about how the, in the 80s the artists began gravitating. In the 90s the artists continued to gravitate and it really became the epicenter for the arts community in Jersey City. But then, come around 2001, everything changed. And then a fight broke, really, for the future and the life of uh, the community in this building. And then I would argue later on, the really, the vision for that entire neighborhood, the Powerhouse Arts District. One of the key figures in your book is Brett Schundler. Mm -hmm. uh, why did his being elected uh, the mayor of Jersey City cause even more friction? Um, well... Schindler, I think, in some ways, did he cause friction? Yes and no. I think he caused friction with the building's owner. So the owner of 111 First Street also owned another property, 110 First Street, right next door. And the Schindler administration, you know, whether they alerted the owner, whether they didn't alert the owner, I'm, I could never really track down the story behind this. They began demolition on part of the property, part of the 110 First Street, in order to free up space for another business and property owner. And the owner took the city to court and won. And I, the monetary settlement was actually much more than what the owner originally paid for 110 and 111 First Street combined. So that already showed, that already sort of revealed how, um, how much the property values had increased in really a, a 10 year time frame. So this is somewhere in the 90s. Uh, Schindler was in many ways, a real strong advocate for the arts in Jersey City. Um, so he was, Brett Schindler was a Republican elected to um, the mayor's office in Jersey City. He was the first Republican since the 19-teens in Jersey City. And uh, he really sort of at that time cast himself, I think, a, in the same mold that Rudy Giuliani did in New York in the 90s. And I mean, this, for your listeners, um, you know, in the 90s, people viewed Giuliani a little differently than they do today. Um, he saw himself as really cleaning up 
maybe public corruption in Jersey City, uh, making Jersey City attractive to investment in business again. But, but also, he, he, was a, a, he was a real supporter of the artists. So he went to uh, events at 111 First Street. He helped initiate public art programs. He helped um, fund the studio tour throughout the city. So he, I think, in that, excuse me, in, and also the Waldo Ordinance, which we talked about, which codified the zoning for what later became the Powerhouse Arts District and the, the neighborhood surrounding one of them for street. He, he was the one that spearheaded that and really saw arts as a, a possible way forward for the city, a way to redefine itself economically. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, and this is something I think we're seeing or realizing more and more now in our cities, especially in places like New York or Jersey City, is the only way I think to ensure that one group or another isn't displaced or at least to minimize that displacement is affordable housing. There has to be some sort of public um, force behind that, whether that's legislation, whether that's inclusionary zoning mandates. Schindler never quite had, I think, the political wherewithal to go forward with that. So that, that may explain some of the friction too, that the seeds of maybe the future conflicts were planted uh, unbeknownst or known to the players during the Schindler years. And David, there was mm -hmm. a big, uh, almost final fight in mm -hmm. 2005. Yes. Mm -hmm. what happened so in 2000, uh, late 2004, early 2005 was really the, the final fight for 111 First Street. So at this point, uh, what was a sort of simmering discontent just exploded into full-blown, uh, exploded into animosity between the building's owner and the artists at 111 First Street and then those who supported the artists in the community and, and on Jersey City at large. So the building's owner was determined to get the people out. He wanted to redevelop the property. He... Um, he decided that the artists had served their purpose. And so this involved a lot of chicanery, a lot of, um, shall we say, ill intent. So uh, there were, so one, one anecdote, there was a fire that broke out in 111 First Street. And at that time, there was actually a police presence in the building full time. So off-duty police officers were responsible for the security of the building and a fire broke out. It was later determined it was arson. So the sprinkler system was disconnected. Um, and the question is then, well, if there was full-time full, full -time security there, they clearly let the person in. Uh, they clearly, clearly the person was authorized to come into the building because only at that, t at that time, it, it, um, only people that were had leases in the building were supposed to go into the building. And later, so an employee for the building's owner was arrested on charges of arson. Now, Inside what, drop. Yep. And whether he was convicted or not, that I never was able to determine. Um, and s that's just one anecdote of what was going on. There were tenants reported that uh, their, their cars were broken into, that people were breaking into their studios, that they were being harassed. It's also worth noting that the political landscape of the city changed at that time. Following Brett Schindler was a Glenn Cunningham. So he was a long-term figure in Jersey City politics. He was a, f a freeholder. He, he was a U.S. Marshal. He was a councilman. So he, he was, a, he was a, a long, uh, long-standing figure and a well-known figure in Jersey City politics. And his wife is a, s a state senator in, in Jersey City today. But he was an, a supporter of the artists, and he was quietly working 
uh, with the owner, New, New Gold Equities, to figure out a long-term solution for the artists. Like how, how, to, how, to, how to work out a long-term leasing arrangement. And he, he and his um, advisors were pretty clear that they were on the side of the artists and that they wanted, they wanted to work this out. He died. And then everything changed. And a new, a new mayor came into office, an interim mayor. So in Jersey City, if a mayor leaves office, the, the city council president then becomes mayor. And this city council pre president, it was a gentleman by the name of uh, L. Harvey Smith. And he was much more combative with, with the building's owner. He began threatening in, eminent domain. Uh, why? Why, why? Was he combative? Well, he, my reading is there was going to be an election very soon. So he needed to create a political coalition very quickly. He needed, to, he needed to create issues or policy positions or policy victories that he could point to and, and a way to distinguish himself from his rivals. So he can get officially elected. Right, so he can get officially elected. So he's threatening him to a name, which he didn't really have strong legal ground for. Also, um, he was, I think, making promises to the artists that he couldn't keep. And many of the artists actually to this day point to L. Harvey Smith saying, oh, that was our guy. He was the one that was behind us. But I think what he did was actually make the situation more combative and more, I guess, um, let's say, unsure. So... All so a politician made promises he didn't plan. Right, to isn't keep? that surprising? <laughs> and then in late 2004, uh, there actually was the official election for mayor. L. Harvey Smith was not elected. Um, Jeremiah Healy was elected to office. He was another long-term Jersey City figure. He was a judge. He was a council person. And 111 First Street just wasn't a priority for him. And to this day, many of the artists and many of the residents of 111 First Street blame Healy for them being evicted, but he was elected in November '04, and early two, early 2005. That's when they were officially evicted from the building, and so there's very little he could have done. And and again, I mean, I, I keep uh, mentioning that they were commercial tenants, and commercial tenants have very few protections. Um, if they were residential tenants, all of a sudden there's certain legal protections they have. It's it's harder to get a rent a renter out of an apartment. An individual, you know, if you and I are renting an apartment, it's, it takes some time to get us out of there. Right. But if I own a small business, it's basically like just the term of my lease. Once my lease ends, I have to go. Uh, you know, so there was very little, I think, the city could have done to maybe, they could have, at that point, the city could have slowed down the process. Now, this, again, this is under Jeremiah Healy um, and under L. Harvey Smith. The, the city could have slowed down the process, maybe but they couldn't have changed the outcome if New Gold Equities was determined uh, to evict the artists. There wasn't, it, much, they there wasn't much they could do. Um, but there were, some, there were also some things going on that I never, I didn't understand that if the artists had been living there, and some of them had been living there, you know, 15 years, if they could prove residency, all of a sudden... Um, now, I, do, I don't actually know too deeply what the laws are as far as, you know, squatting and proving you actually are a long-term resident as a squatter. But uh, I, I wonder how good their legal counsel was because it seems that if... They had some they, recourse. Right, they, they, if they could prove long-term residency and the owner knew it, then all of a sudden things might have changed. But that, that avenue never really 
avenue really seemed to be followed. Uh, also, they weren't, as I mentioned, they weren't paying rent at that point, but they weren't putting their money in escrow. And several people I asked, they said, oh, well, that was what our lawyer told us. And I actually spoke with my friend who was an attorney, and he, he, he was like, that's terrible. I would never give anyone that advice. So you um, even wonder if the lawyer was really working with them. Well, I, I mean, maybe they just, yeah, they weren't getting the best advice possibly. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, so what, what happened? So, so the political landscape escaped change. And then in early 2005, uh, there was a court case. They were in court and th they were evicted. And that was, that was the end of the artist at 111 First Street. David, um, when the, when yeah. did the building uh, become torn down? So when, when was the building torn down? So in 2005, the, maybe the most colorful chapter of the story ended. The artists were evicted in early 2005. But the story at 111 at First Street had yet to end at that point. At that point, the building's owner um, was seeking demolition approval for the building. However... Uh, earlier in 2004, 111 First Street and, and buildings in the surrounding area were landmarked as historic properties. So that means that uh, an owner can't just submit a demolition permit and tear down the structure. The only way a historic property can be torn down is one, if the city approves it, and they, usually there has to be you know, some sort of public threat to the building, whether it's in danger of collapse or it's in a state that they can't realistically develop. Say if the, the land underneath it's compromised, you know, if it's sinking or right. something like that. So there was a two-year battle from 2005 and 2007 to save the building itself. So the artists and their supporters, um, I think they saw this as their, their last hurrah or, well, if maybe we lost, but if we can save the building, then maybe something great can still come of it. Because th as we were talking, the, the area was zoned as an arts district. So 111 First Street could still be saved, could be rehabilitated as apartments or offices or um, commercial spaces for arts businesses. Maybe in the artists wouldn't be there, but uh, the building itself would be saved and future generations could adjoin in some capacity. But that didn't happen. That did not happen. So uh, the owner, you know, fought crook and nail to demolish the building. Um, and then lo and behold, the city cut a deal with the owner. So this is, a very, again, a very Jersey City, a very New Jersey, and I think a very New York region story where... Um, side deals. Side deals. And it, again, and this, and this, I think, too, is very telling. So whether it's the Powerhouse Arts District or whether it's um, maybe s another area in the New York metropolitan area where city leadership will say it's zoned in a certain way or we have... I mean, right now I know... Um, you know, we're talking about affordable housing throughout New York City and in Newark, New Jersey, and Jersey City. There's various, you know, buildings that are being constructed with affordable housing set aside or in Newark, they have an affordable housing ordinance where anything over uh, 30 units has to have 20%, I think it's 20% affordable housing. But what that looks great on paper. But what often happens is the owners will come back to the government, whether that's the Jersey City government in this case or New York City government and say, we, we can't make this work. And then they cut a side deal with them. So, um, and that's what happened here was ultimately the city negotiated um, an agreement with the owner of 111 First Street, allowed them to demolish the building and build uh, a 40-story structure. Now, again, this was a four to five-story structure going to a 40-story structure. Um, Which was? 
it was never built actually the 40-story structure so t as of today this is um, still a hole in the ground so it was demolished in 2007 with these grand plans to reconstruct it um, they had a a big PR moment with the architect Rem Coolhouse, who had plans to build this very you know, ornate, very state-of-the-art uh, structure. The city was for it. Uh, various uh, nonprofit and neighborhood groups were for it, and that you know that's fine. But it was never built, and so that's I think probably the most painful part of this story for the residents of 111 First Street, to the people that supported them, the people that wanted to have an arts district in this neighborhood that what what was the purpose of throwing these people out and then what was the purpose of tearing this building down if, if nothing gonna, was going to build he's just going to be in one big hole and um if i if i had a chance to interview the owner of one, one of the first street that would be the one question i would have for him did you what, try i never did actually because for this book, for this book um the owner the owner who owns the company which was no gold equities which is now bld management is a, a gentleman by the name of lloyd goldman um a very, very wealthy uh, property owner in the, in the New York metropolitan region, one of the real movers and shakers. I mean, we often, you know, whenever you see a, a billionaire on TV talking about how wealthy he is, I mean, that's really an anomaly. You know, very wealthy people kind of stay in the background. You don't know who they are. And he's one of those wealthy people. He helped, I mean, just to prove this point, when uh, Larry Silverstein was redeveloping the World Trade Center site, he looked to Goldman for funding. So that shows you the amount of uh, power influence this, this person potentially has. David, what um, happened to the artists or some of the key oh, artists sure. um, that were kicked out of their yeah, home? Well, the artists are still through. Um, well, some stayed in Jersey City, some stayed in Hudson County, uh, some are in the New York area, some moved to other parts of the country. Uh, I interviewed uh, about 20 or so of the artists for the book. And actually, um, when when the book came out, I had my first book reading at Book Culture in Manhattan, um, and a few of the artists came to that. And then actually, later that month in October, uh, one of the former artists who still lives in Jersey City has a gallery space, and she put together an art show of art from the artists at 111 1st Street. And I came, and I this was really the first chance for me to meet many of these people face-to-face, -face, uh, but also... I think for someone that didn't know the story at 111 1st Street or that picked up my book, uh, this was probably the most special event because you had the art, you had the artists, and then you had the book. So you really had every sort of facet of the story. Uh, but many of them are, are still around. Uh, but I, I think many of them that I spoke with, um, they're, they're still very angry at the story. So this story, I mean, it was, they were, again, the artists were evicted in 2005. The building was demolished in 2007. So it's, it's fading into history. And, Really, the, the, the peak point of the building was the 1990s and the early 2000s. So we're, we're talking now 20, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. But uh, this was not only where they worked. I mean, this was their community. It was really um, an artist commune of sorts. So you had, at any given time, you had several hundred people living here. And so of every different skill, every different trade, every different form of art. So you could really, if you needed... Um, someone to help you fix your toilet. There was someone that could help you. If you wanted someone um, to lend you fabric because you were making dresses, there was someone that could do that. Well, give you fabric. <laughs> uh, they could do that. If you needed someone to help you with film editing, there was someone. If you needed someone to uh, 
babysit your kid. There was someone there that could help you with that. So basically this demolish of this this building broke up not just a community, a family. A family. You know? And and I think that on a personal level, you know, I don't I'm not sure if you recover from that. You know, um it you see your career, you see your family, you see your friends uh broken and scattered. But also on a citywide level, I feel like this was a, a real lost opportunity for Jersey City where this was an op- if 111 First Street had been allowed to survive in some form, maybe the artists that were there couldn't stay there, but maybe the, devel- the building could be developed to be an art center still. Um, I think that area of Jersey City, and I think Jersey City as a whole, I mean, really could rival Brooklyn today. I mean, and I don't want to undercut what's going on in Jersey City. I live in Jersey City. Um, I love living there, and there's some really wonderful things happening there. There is still a wonderful arts community there. And there are, there are um, institution ind- individuals that are doing great things. And, but this could have really, I think, put Jersey City on uh, the national map as having an arts industry. And when, what do I mean by that? I mean, you could have had in this neighborhood the powerhouse arts district. You, you, we could have had you know, design firms, uh, film and television productions. So, you know, very sophisticated money-making operations, not... And, and alongside that, have these sort of hard scrabble artists. So not just say impoverished artists, you know, toiling away in their garrets, but also having real um, drivers for the local economy. And and that was lost. And you know, once those opportunities go away, they don't come back. My one goal, or one of my goals for this book, is I hope that individuals, communities um, elsewhere in the New York area or elsewhere in the country learn from the lessons of 111 First Street and and try to ensure it doesn't happen to them. So, David, what do you think will happen to the artist and arts community if they continue to be priced out like what happened at 111 First Street? Mm-hmm. That's something I've been thinking about um, quite a bit since the book's publication and since I've, I've talked with people uh, like you today or talked to audiences at bookstores or at other events is what what is the future for art and artists in Jersey City, in New York, in other areas where real estate prices are skyrocketing? And... I think if if there's not a concerted effort to ensure that artists have a place, and that can be ensuring that they have studio space, practice space, performance space, and places to live, um, there might not be a grassroots art center in the region anymore. I think in the New York region, there will always be um, arts industries in the sense that there'll be publishing, there'll be... Broadway, there'll be museums, but will there be um, sort of the, you know, if we want to call it the minor leagues or the feeder system, the people that, the grassroots, the people that really, you know, make new art movements or make uh, our new voices, will they still come to New York? I, I really don't know. And the only way, again, I keep saying affordable housing. I mean, really, that is what I think city governments cr- across the region need to be thinking about is how how do we ensure that there's a degree of affordability so artists or any other community that sort of, I guess, informs the local identity, the local character, has a place in the city still. And, um, yeah, I, 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 again, I think it's a policy issue and it's, it requires real political will and political muscle. And uh, I know... There are various programs, but again, it, whether, um, you know, the proof is in the pudding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
And, and David, you said the goal of this book yep. was to prove the spirit of 111 mm-hmm. First Street lives on. Mm-hmm. Do you think you've uh, accomplished your goal? Do, does the story of 111 First Street live on? I, I think so. Um, one, of, one of the reasons I wrote this book was so the story wouldn't be lost. As, as we talked about when you asked who were the artists or where are they now, um, you know, they've grown older, their lives have moved on, and when I was working on this book and I would ask people that I knew were, were involved in the arts community, oh, did, had you ever been to 111 First Street? What do you know about 111 First Street? A lot of people had never heard of it. And if this book hadn't been written, that story would be lost. That chapter in Jersey City's history would be lost. And these artists would have faded away with, with really not a stone marking their memory. And I think, um, I'm trying to sound humble here, but I, I think the book was able to accomplish it now that um, one on just their story itself is told, but also, again, this is, a, I think, a case study for um, individuals, for groups, for for civic leaders, for politicians uh, throughout the United States, they can look at this story and say, okay, what can we do differently? What can we make sure that our 111 First Street lives on? Thank you, David, for coming in. Oh, thank you so much, Robin. It was an honor and a pleasure. I'd like to thank my guest, David J. Goodwin. His book, Left Bank of the Hudson, Jersey City, and the Artist of 111 First Street is out now by Fordham University Press. You can like Fordham Conversations on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter and catch up on shows you've missed with our weekly podcast. For WFUV's Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.